Yo, 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 welcome to another round of In the House. We have a very special guest, Joshua Pintelleresco. Just uh, um, got some really cool stuff coming out. Alice One, this take on Alice in Wonderland meets Greek mythology. I'm super interested in getting into this story. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's jump right into it. Um, Alice One. Tell me about the title. Tell me about the book. Okay, so I got to go back to the actual quote-unquote the first book of the series first. I was asked to do a – I've done epic poem stuff in the past. And I was asked to do an epic poem for Lewis Carroll for an anthology. And what ended up happening was I was like, okay, so what can I say about Lewis Carroll that hasn't already been said? I was like, oh. so literally that night I go to a bar and I meet a girl with a Gorgon tattoo. Like she has <laughs> like a whole a custom design Gorgon tattoo at the bar. She's cute. I go to hit on her. She plays for the other team. It's all good. We're still good friends, right? And uh, what ended up happening was uh, I just was like, I could put Medusa in Alice in Wonderland. Why couldn't I put Medusa in Alice in Wonderland, right? That's the first thing. I, that was the first question thing I put in there. But then I had this like eureka moment. Alice and Pandora are essentially the same story. Mm-hmm. When you get right down to it, they're, they're essentially the exact same story. It's just their curiosity that leads them into different things. Pandora's curiosity leads her to open the box. Alice's curiosity leads her to follow the rabbit down the rabbit hole. Same thing. It's the same story. Once I had that, I have a story I could tell Alice in Wonderland. Right? I, I love it. <clears throat> I, want to, I want to take a step back. So you yeah. have this epiphany out of this spur-of-the-moment connection with a person that uh, a girl you're trying to get. A random uh, uh, kind of, you know, occasion, um, series of events, and you have this epiphany. To, um, that's, that's incredible. I didn't, wanna, I didn't want that to gloss over because sometimes the greatest writing moments and stories come out of that. So Alice in Wonderland, Pandora, um, Parallel, um, adding this Greek mythology. Tell me, tell me how you make this connection. Well, like I said, first off, again, just because, again, I met the right girl at the right time, so that's from the first step. And then once I saw Alice's Greek, I saw, again, Alice Pandora, once I make that connection, then I started looking at Wonderland very differently, right? Because it's like, okay, which of these characters, if I were to put them into Greek mythology, who would they be? For example, the Mad Hatter, who would he be? Well, he'd be Kronos. Why? Because they both kill time. Mm-hmm. They just do it in very different ways. The Mad Hatter just never, never stops eating in tea time, and and but if you look at them, they both are they both master time. So there you go. There's a connection right there. So there's a story element to play off right there and then. The Cheshire Cat. Now that one I'm not going to entirely give away. That one's worth reading. But I will say that if Pandora is madness. What's a better companion for them than Discord? That's all I'm going to say about that. If you know the answer to that, good for you. If you don't, enjoy the ride. It's fun. But the idea is all the characters in Wonderland, you can actually tie them to various Greek stories, right, if you really want to. Or you can actually just put completely – or, for example, Medusa. I decided to make her in my story pre-Gorgon. I had I had like, – I had – so – Probably because I'm my friend, but also just partly because Medusa's is such a fascinating character. She doesn't really have a Wonderland equivalent. But I thought, there's like again, there are some things that are uniquely Wonderland. 
there's some things that are uniquely Greek mythology, and there's a couple there's a couple characters that are uniquely Greek mythology. One of them is Medusa, another one is Jason, right? So, well, I I think um, I'm, as I'm entering, as you're kind of giving me this introduction, I'm I'm entering your Wonderland, right? This is a different Wonderland, and just that concept of oh, yeah. of you know, I, I I told you before we start recording, I'm really uh, akin to you know you know a lot of the original work and um, the illusions of Alice were from her, from her life. Right. A lot of the characters in that, um, in, in her world were from her, were representations of her life and this whole idea of time, um, um, you know, making decisions. So I feel like now you're, you're, I'm seeing your Alice through your eyes in your world. Uh, and it's darker, <laughs> and Alice was already it's dark. darker. But it's also, but it's also very Alice. Uh-huh. She, um, she opened the box. She wakes up in it, like in Alice Zero. She wakes up in an insane asylum in our world, or something akin to our world. And the playing cards are her jailers, right? And she escapes at the end of Zero, and then in one is chasing the queen who had jailed her up. But she doesn't remember much about who she is. The thing about Alice in Wonderland is really interesting. Is it's it's the original life is but a dream concept right there. So what I did is I inverted. What if by opening Pandora's box, Alice is trapped in a dream world? How would she wake up? Could she wake up? So, and her Wonderland would be scattered in this dream. And by finding pieces of Wonderland, she finds pieces of herself. Mm-hmm. slowly but surely revealing the full story over time as to who she is and what she's doing here and so there's something very um it is a little darker for sure it's also it's also very alice instead of um one of the things about her i always i dug when i read the surrender story was she would communicate with everybody and sometimes she'd be huffy and haughty but sometimes she'd be very kind and I decided to emphasize her kindness. Um, for example, I turned the flamingos. Remember the flamingos mm-hmm. of the croquet? Stygian birds. Because she actually plays croquet against Jason in the underworld. <laughs> but unlike, unlike, but unlike, unlike, say, unlike, say, in the original, Alice talks to Herbert. She actually convinces Herbert to join her. So she actually has a very, she does have a very good core to her. Even if, um, even if her world's a lot darker, it's also not necessarily, again, it's not all shadow. It's, there is, a, there are sparks of light in there. And it's, again, it's that journey to come back into whatever light, light looks like. You know, I, um, I think, uh, you know, audience, you guys are, are really in for a treat because Joshua, um, Joshua is, is multi-talented. You know, you, you do a very, very well-run podcast. Um, you have a very intense writing um, Ackerman and a pretty, uh, you know, well-established and growing um, body of work. So I, I really, you know, I'm, as I'm just entering, you know, your world, like I feel like, I feel like I'm entering a comic space that is really born of, of high literature. So I really kind of want to take a step back and, and kind of tell me how, what kind of, or more from like the origin inspiration for this and more of your like, um, you know, how did you how did you tackle this feat? Because because Alice in Wonderland is already rich, so to enrich it more, um, you gotta have some real skill. Tell me tell me about how you approach writing this, and just a little bit more about your writing background. Oh, 
like, 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 oof, okay, so, I love taking, like, outlandish, like, like, I, I have a big imagination, as, as it is, I like taking concepts, like I said, I, I took two very classic concepts, and I mashed them up into something original, but to do that, I had to be true to what the core of the story actually was, Alice is a, Alice, if you really sit, if you really sit there, is, is, she's wandering in a dream, until she finally wakes up, that's what Alice is all about, ultimately, at the end of the day. So, if Wonderland's simply a dream, then, then, then okay, so what kind of story can you tell with that? And so you can create a dreamlike quality in the story. And in fact, you should, because it's Alice in Wonderland. You, can do, you can't do that with too many other kinds of fiction, um, because, again, the nature of this world allows for the dream, for a dream. Um, but I also kind of like like the thing I wanted to bring to it. Um, I'm not going to spoil Alice Two and Alice and the and the third Alice book. But at the end of Alice Two, she's going to become much more aware of what's going on with her, and I, and that's when I make things really uncomfortable for her because it, it's um, once you're aware of what's really going on with her. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, and, and why she's in, why she's really in this dream, why she opened Pandora's box, it's like, holy crap, and then you see who the real, who's behind, this, there's, and unlike in Miles Wonderland, there is a villain in this, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a, uh, again, it's a homage to, it, it, it's a homage definitely to, to classic, uh, um, Greek mythology, but again, it's taking those story elements that you think would work, and how to tie them into the core concept of Alice in Wonderland. And the core concept, like I said, is basically someone's curiosity landing them into trouble. But again, is curiosity in and of itself a sin? No. Right? But, okay, but, okay, also, unlike Pandora's story, Alice got into the mess, but she also ends up getting out. Magically. Just like it's a dream. It's over. Gone. So... So the so the real story in this is okay. If this is a dream, how does Alice get out? And that's that's basically the whole story structure. And everything else I'm doing is just tying into all these things. Um, the the other the last thing I added a little bit to it is I I added the concepts of shadows in there, like Carl Jung's dream shadow again dream oh, archetype. Definitely, I'm huge Carl. Uh, um, and that's actually a really good segue because as you're talking, I'm really seeing how much of yourself you put into the into these characters, into the story world building, but also um, a respect for who the character themselves would be if if they were fully sentient, right? You don't want every character you write to be a version of yourself, or like, and you really have to be conscious of: Am I telling the story the way it would unfold if I was just watching? Do you, do well, you, how do you? What's your approach to do? You, do you are you aware of that when you're writing, or do you tell me? Tell me what is your thoughts on that? Just that concept of character writing. So you're playing with expectations. That's big to all writers at the end of the day. That's what we're playing with. This is Alice in Wonderland. There are certain expectations that come with Alice in Wonderland. You can be absurd. In fact, I am. I'm, I, I, she played croquet with Stygian birds against Jason of the Argonauts in the Greek underworld, just because. I wanted it. It seemed like fun. <laughs> That's very much me. 
Yet, for all of that, I'm sneaking in some really deep and dark and wonderful thoughts about different different things. I also made it very apparent that I, her, I would study her opponent as much as I would, I was, I would her. There's a lot of Jason, like the Argo, and when she ends up in the Greek underworld, she ends up in a broken version of the Argo, and the weeping turtle, the mock turtle, right, has literally a certain god of the sea trapped inside its shadow. Something had happened, something terrible had happened, and something terrible is happening in this version of Wonderland. Again, not revealing anything there because I haven't written, but there's a reason certain things are happening the way they are. What's happening, right? The thing is, I'm talking, so now I'm telling Jason's story. Jason's a great villain, more villain than a hero. When you really look at his actual story, he lies, he cheats, he steals, but he always wins. That's why he's the hero more often than not. But I can, so I can play with that expectation. I can play with Alice's expectations of who Alice is and how they mash up again, how they are good foils for each other. Because Alice is never, Alice really sit there and think about it, doesn't really care about winning. She, she, again, she just goes along for the ride to some degree. But at the same time, so going against someone that will win at any cost, that's an interesting story. Is a lot of the obstacles they face inside the underworld are very, they all tie to Jason. She fights the dragon that doesn't sleep. That's sort of good at the very end. That, that's a Jason villain. That's totally a Jason thing. And Alice fights it, fights it the only way Alice does, which is she talks to it, <laughs> which is something that uh, Jason never would have thought to do. I wanted to ask you more about, about Alice, who is a fascinating fascinating character legendary in her own right and you just <clears throat> i think you really captured the subtlety of her soft power in the way in the way you just descri des described the way she fights you know the last villain because i was going to ask you about her power <clears throat> not just in i love allison when i could have plays with this dream world real world concept and <clears throat> when, I, when you talk about what uh all the characters being a reflection of her imagination, her power seems to be consistent in both worlds. And it's, mm -hmm. it's her self-actualization. Mm -hmm. um, how, tell me about the concept of powers in, in your world. Well, there, they all have, again, it's all kind of dreamlike. Like there's, there's a certain, in this particular case, Alice doesn't really have, she has a bit of an idea of what she's doing, as there's both, there's two things inside her. There's a certain Cheshire friend who, uh, more often than not, seems to know more about what's going on than she does. Right? And there's a, and there is, again, and, and so the, the next book is called Alice 2, T-O-O. And I got, I, I, I won't lie, our Cheshire friend's at the heart of that one. Right, so, but this, so, but so she's got that going in her head. But she also has Pandora's box, and went somewhere inside her. So whenever she finds a piece of Wonderland, it's almost like she's collecting a piece of herself back. When she opened the box, she's putting everything back into the box, right, one little bit at a time. But um, so there's there's two things. She's a little nuts because she's always talking to the cat. So anyone looking at her would think she's a little manic. 
because the cat and her do have some very interesting back and forth, right? That might be completely in her head. Kind of, sort of. But, um, so, but Alice as a physical fighter isn't, it, it's not her thing. And it doesn't need to be her thing. That's not really what it's about with her. For Alice, it's about, so, my again, my big thing, and this is where Medusa comes in. Sometimes fate is inescapable. But it's not really about that, it's about how you face it. And that's very much the core theme of, especially the last book, that's what it's going to be about. Knowing what's in front of you, knowing that it's going to hurt a lot to get to the very end. You still have the heart to go through everything you're going to to get to that, to get to that ending. And everything that's going to cost you along the way. Um, again, sometimes, sometimes for, for my take on Alice is... Wonderland is the imagination manifest, but her as she self-actualizes, she doesn't need Wonderland anymore. She's ready to see the truth. That's deep, man. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like I said, I I, I feel like um, the visual, the you know, the covers. Um, now, for you know, we're for the audience. You know, if they go read this, is it a a comic in the traditional sense, a graphic novel? Is it just oh, a no? Book? It's an epic poem of illustrations. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Describe describe that to me. The just you know the structure of that. It's poetry. The whole story is told in poetry. All of it, start to finish, with a little bit of prose inside when she when she unlocks a few little secrets here and there. And as the story progresses, you might see a little bit more prose as time goes on. If you look at Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, it's a lot of it does have prose, but it's got a lot of poetry splattered throughout. So I decided to invert that. It's poetic. Um, but she, but he's even got like poems in the middle of it, uh, in the middle of the stories he's telling. He constantly surprises people with um, like the, all these little asides he throws in there. And he's got some brilliant stuff and just some of the, some of his terrible, terrible limericks and jokes and like there's there's little kernels of wisdom. Yeah. But um, but. When you get right down to it, when when you totally totally get right down to it, Wonderland, or through the looking the Looking Glass House, or any parts of Alice's imagination, they help her they help her cope with what she's dealing with. There's another way of looking at it, right? So, again, she opened Pandora's box. What does that actually mean? I'm not saying a damn word. There's there there's a right there. But uh, I mean. I don't. I don't mention the West. I mean, one thing I did not mention so far is the White Rabbit. Is there a White Rabbit in this? Why is it a box instead of a rabbit? Mm-hmm. Things, things like again, just just little differences make a different story. But the important thing when you again when you do something with with this character is you play within the expectations. What I've done is it's still very much a good homage to Carol. I just inverted it. I just went, let's go with poems. Let's add some pictures here and there. Um, I have a copy of the annotated Alice, which is all the notes from the Lewis Carroll Society about, about the book. It's got lots of illustrations in the inside. Really good stuff. And, you know. I, lo- I, I mean, it poet- it, it's poetic on so many levels, right? The real poetry, the um, uh, 
the poetry of, of, of chance of events. Um, and the original work turned in, it, it was always meant to be seen, right? The original illustrations of the book and, and anim, you know, cartoons that we were first exposed to, the Disney uh, renditions. Um, tell me about, like, your visuals and, you know, um, what, what... I wanted a Greek Alice. I wanted a Greek Alice. I did not want a quite... I wanted somewhat of a traditional Alice look, but not quite the traditional Alice. You look at her, she's not the same quite... She has a little bit of that Disney connection, but she's not the Disney Berg, Disney Alice. And as far as the Cheshire Gat goes, you can see him. He is not what you think he is, right? He's a shadow, right? Always there with her, right? And then if you look at, if you look at Jason... Right. He's got his own shadow, which is reminiscent of an ace. And I'm not going to give away who and why and how that that connection exists, right? But that that ties into something in the in Alice Zero. There's a shadow that's chasing Alice. It's not quite like anything else. And that shadow is represented by what's with Jason right now. Well, I mean that people. You guys should if you if you like. Um... Uh, Alice in Wonderland. If you like, you know, Greek mythology, uh, one or both, uh, you should go buy this book. Um, I want you to tell me like um, the mechanics, like your your self publishing. Um, you know, your book is up on Amazon. A lot of a lot of writers in the audience, maybe that's just you know they haven't figured or they're figuring that out. They're wondering how to do that. You know, how did how did you go about the uh, the logistics of self publishing? Um. Well, so I wanted something digital quickly. <clears throat> Pardon me. I wanted something digital quickly, and I uh, I ended up uh, again. I've done stuff with Amazon before. Amazon does tie to certain markets better than others. I'm not saying that Amazon exclusive is the only path to do it. There's going wide, which is all a variety of different. Like there's Kindle, there's Kobo, there's there's lots of other other places. So there's, there's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of options in publishing. The trick you got to ask yourself is what best serves your story? And for now, just being on Amazon exclusive is just fine for me. Now, my illustrator's getting married, so I'm going to let her get married because that, that, that's what we do. You let her go get married and be happily ever after for a little while. And then um, I'm going to beg and and go, please come back. I have. I want. I want to physically print the book and we'll finish some of the illustrations that weren't done. But I also kind of have a board game to go with it, so I'm going to be crowdfunding this probably in the fall. And uh, because that's the way. I, that's the way I visualize the story. Um, again, the the thing about as an author today, the big question you got to ask is whatever your goals is as a publisher to publish a book. You want to go to a traditional publishing, you're going for very specific reasons. They're not necessarily incorrect, but you got to be honest with what those reasons are. You're going with a, spe- a specialized house, you're going there for specific reasons. And you got to ask yourself why you're going to those. Again, as long as those reasons are being fulfilled, that's cool. But every story is no longer, no longer served by any one particular model. You have to kind of think about those models carefully on your own. And the model I have in mind is very much a, um, you know, I had a crowdfunding model for the physical book for the first two. 
and I'll just keep releasing the digitals on Amazon bit by bit. And but the reason why I wanted a crowdfunding model for this was simply because I have a, a board game composite with it. You're not going to do that with a traditional publisher. You're not even really going to do that indie. You're going to probably do it as a crowdfund, and that's how I'm going to do it. Right again, though, but that's the logic behind my decisions. For everybody listening, there are at least I would say six or seven amazing options to, as a published to find your work to be published, and all of them serve different purposes. So what you need to ask yourself is, what is those purposes for you? And then what store, where would that suit you best? Well, I, I think you also bring up, um, in addition to so many good points, kind of something we were talking about when you had me on your podcast. Appreciated mm -hmm. that as well. Um, yeah. You, we had talked about just how, like, you know, you know we Royal House is publishing several books and, you know, a game. We are, you know, just teasing 2D animation to bring our books to life and bring people off the page and have narration to create some atmosphere um, to what would have been just a traditional comic. Um, mobile game, since I've talked, spoken to you, we've made a lot of progress on that. It's going to be coming out literally in the next few months. Um, whereas traditionally, people would write a book and it, it was meant to be a book. They weren't thinking about like I'm writing a book to be a movie, or I'm writing a book that could be a game, or made. I'm, you know, they they, it's a new ecosystem of of uh, commerce with authorship and creativity and creation in general. Did that play into your, into your decision making? Yes and no. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes and no. I think I think this has always been the game. If you really want to break down what we do. We are in the business of intellectual property. If you want to be really like, like totally, and if you look at what tr how traditional publishing has been done in the past, it's not just been about um, just selling the book here, selling the book in another country. It's about creating as many different sales with as many, with as many different publishers, bookstores, whatever the case may be. So that model is always it's evolved though because. Hollywood's looking for content now all the time. So is Netflix, for example. So video games are probably, in my opinion, the the uh, format of the future in terms of where I would want to go with my properties because video games are consistently popular. Movies come and go, but games can last forever. Depending on how kind of game you make, it can be great. Right? So I, I just think what's happened is there's been this realization for a lot of creatives that holy crap I can sell an obnoxious t-shirt about my stuff holy crap I can put a mug together or or a tattoo or or, or like whatever obnoxious piece of merchandise you want to consider I can make it a game so that's a myriad of sales so if I go to a traditional publisher and I sign all these rights away now again some situations, some situations, that is the right call, but they have to be very specific situations. Otherwise, you're leaving a lot of money on the table without ever really realizing it today. So that's kind of where, where we're at, um, is traditional publishing now become a niche. It's not a bad thing. It's just the nature of the beast. That's a so, really interesting concept. Traditional, pub yeah. traditional publishing becoming a niche. It is. 
But it is. Thousands upon thousands of books come out monthly. Thousands of books. There are, if I'm a romance author, I don't go to traditional publishing anymore because they can't keep up with me. There's nothing they could, they, they, they are ill-equipped to help me advance my career. If I'm, if I'm a science fiction author and I can go either way, but at this point it's a crapshoot, right? I, I, I think science fiction is like the one, one of the, one of the genres that you would think would be the most like sophisticated and far flung you'd think. But the reality is there's no money there, at least, at least in traditional. And they're, they're, again, I love Ray Meeson, Ray Bradbury. I love the classics, but you know what I would like to see? More, more, more variety of good books. Like I, I like, I like the fantasy sections huge. So if I'm a fantasy author, maybe, maybe, maybe I go traditional, but it serves my niche. Science fiction, not a soul on that. So when I'm looking at my, my story, the kind of story I'm making, the kind of story I'm telling, is there a house to, now there are some specialized publishing houses that are equipped to deal with these things too, to some extent. But again, it's no longer a cut and dried answer anymore to go to a traditional publisher, right? It, it's, does that help you? Does that serve your story? If the answer is, and the answer might be no. And that's just an honest, that's not a knock to the publisher either. It's just the nature of the kind of story you're telling and what's out there on the market. The market has now dictates what where your stories to some degree goes. And the truth is, traditional publishing, like when, I, when I'm reading that, I mean the big four houses are only a small piece of the market. They're not the big, the big chunk anymore. They're still a big chunk, but they're certainly not the only one. Well, I, I think you, for, for a lot of indie authors listening, uh, creators listening, I think it's what you said is really empowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that groundswell of, of indie um, creatives actually, you know, getting getting their stuff to market is, is really inspiring for, for a lot of people who are who are just starting off. Um, I want to I want to move into into sales a little bit and just, you know, um, an approach to marketing, you know, how, how, how do you effectively get your name and your book, you know, your book out there, your content out there? I, I, I have a big mouth, Roderick. I think you know this. <laughs> I have a really, really big mouth. Podcast, podcast. Yeah, people should check out your podcast, um, um, you know, definitely, but it, it, it continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I have a big mouth. I'm good at it. I'm obnoxious. I'm not afraid to speak my to speak about anything. So I have a platform. So my approach to marketing is really simple. You're going to support me a bunch of different ways. You may not. You might buy the book. You might not. My stuff. No. Okay. I think the first time I'm going to go like this. Who are you as a creative? This is who am I? Listen. I'm the dude playing with epic poetry and illustrations in my own little corner of the universe. Yes, it's Alice in Wonderland, but people are like, oh my God, it's poetry. So I might not be your flavor of ice cream, not least with this book. My next book is something I'm writing and drawing myself. It's a homage to Fahrenheit 451. It's more of a prose book, but still, it's got a graphic novel feel to it. And here's the thing. I'm creating these unique experiences. I'm not the guy. I'm the guy that's going to create his own little, like, unique corner of the universe. And some people might say, oh shit, this is cool. Some people might say, this motherfucker's crazy. Right? I don't know. 
right? But the, but but the point, but the thing is, I gotta do the things that kind of feel for me that are true to myself. I like telling stories that that will kind of sneak up on you. It like kind of wow you, no pun intended, with wonder, a little bit of wonder, discovery, surprise, and maybe get you to think. So that's who I am as a creative. Knowing this, that not all my books, not all my books are going to hit you or going to be for you necessarily either. So, but there's that. Then there's me, the podcaster. The guy interviews people, supports people, builds people up. People support me there too. Uh, they sponsor my show, whether they uh, listen, just listen. My listenership's growing constantly, right? It's not, It's it's been growing for a long time. Watching what I've been seeing in the last little bit, like since since June of last year, I mean, my numbers are, are solid enough for sponsorships, which is good. I've hit that point. Um, so I got like, there's a bunch of ways to support me just right there. And then I also have a Redbubble account where you can buy some obnoxious merchandise. I mean, I have a unicorn that literally, that literally farts out advertisements there, just <laughs> as an example. Right, but the the whole point though is like, there's a lot of ways to support me. So my job is, okay, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. Right, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. Um, so that's the, that's how I approach it. Um, I go up. I do podcasts all the time. I always do things to supply, ask to support to support the show. Um, I support the show, support my stuff. I'm always advertising there. I always do regular content. Now I'm going to be experimenting with like paid ads with like BookBub and, and stuff like that soon. So I'll be doing stuff like that. But ultimately, it's just about regularly putting content out for people can find you. And if people really like what you're doing, they'll support you. That's just that's how it works. Yeah, you got you got to get out there and and let people know who you are and what you do. Yeah, to be the you know the shy the shy creator, oh man, you're gonna have a tough time. I think um, I'm looking into into doing some outsourcing now. I'm looking to hire a content creator. Definitely, you know, Upwork has a lot of of um, cheap, uh, but I think of value options because you know to to get out there on social media to get out there. Um, and just even just like to optimize a website are, are not things a layman can do effectively sometimes, right? So you can build a, a website on Wix or any, you know, any, but, but to actually, you know, have a, this, to build an ecosystem for yourself, uh, um, a funnel for yourself. Um, do you find that, that you're, you're having effect, uh, you know, effectiveness with that? Do you feel like that may be some room for growth? There's room for growth. Um, it took me a long time to really figure out, okay, what do I offer? Again, that's, that, that, that takes a, there's a variety of different things I can do. Like I currently I'm working on another show. I, I do a lot of it. I do all the video editing pretty much. I do. I create all the content that way. Host show with, with, with a very incredible person, Sarah Stapchak. Um, I do that on a regular basis. Um, so now I can, I offer a lot of different skills. And so what I need to do more of, and I kind of made this a much more conscious choice this year, is I'm going to constantly start. I'm debating about how much of a mailing list thing I'm going to do. 
right? Mailing lists are seem to be the real key to this, and that's something I've, I've realized. Um, so I gotta be a lot more dedicated with my mailing list. Um, but the other thing I've, I've learned too is it's okay to be a little polarizing. You gotta take stands on things that matter to you. You gotta be real with who you are. And what you're gonna do is once you start doing that, you will filter out a lot of people that don't want to be really be there. But the people that are there will support you. It's not really about having the biggest audience. It's about having your audience. Um, so I have a place where people can go and get my services, my website, which is jpentelresco.wordpress.com. You can see a lot of things I offer there for, for a lot of people. Um, I have some SEO background, some knowledge there, not as much as I, I need to be really effective, but I have some for sure. Um, like I said, the, 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 I definitely am created, I've created a good natural growth. Like the organic growth is there on prolific, which is another big thing. You, like whatever you choose to do, you gotta be prolific at it. It's, it's no longer about that one and done. You've got to just constantly get yourself out there and go, Hey, here I am. This is what I'm doing. Um, I do that with the podcast and I've noticed that my numbers have, have definitely improved the more I do that. Um, so like this is all, these are all just things I've learned in the last year. Um, now it's just taking it to the next level, which is okay. Get some more work, get some more, um, get some more stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that takes time. Like, like that's just the reality. Um, it might be the real, in some ways, that is the job part of what you're doing is, hi, listen, I know this sounds obnoxious, but I have this amazing stuff right here. That's what you got to do. How have, uh, how have reviews been? I know we, we had talked uh, a little earlier about, about reviews. How are reviews coming in? What are your thoughts on reviews? How do, how do you go about soliciting or even taking in good or versus bad reviews? I don't care what kind of review it is. I just want them all. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm serious. It doesn't matter to me if it's a good review or a bad review. Um, here's the thing. If it's a one-star review, it still shows up on the algorithm more. I, I, I'd be worried if all my reviews were three stars. But if I get a bunch of vibes, some ones, I get some weird one-star reviews, whatever, you're going. It's going to happen. Probably be a little annoyed when that one-star review comes for Alice. Like, really? This is what you think? I'll probably have that moment. But but at the same time, when it's over, it's like, yeah. But on the other hand, my algorithm has grown. So thank you for that. Before um before we run out of time, I do want to, um, as I mentioned, uh, I think you have. Uh, fantastic range in talent. You know, you, you you run a really good podcast. Alice Alice One is, is a fantastic concept, but then the structure, the structure it in in a you know a, a visual po you know you know poetry uh, uh, structures. Like I said, very very creative. What? Tell me a little bit more about like you, the writer, your craft of writing. Um, how much of a planner are you? You know, do you just find space or do you do you find many ideas come out of like random bar meetings with and and seeing people's tattoos <laughs> well i get inspiration from everywhere but i would call myself a planter i generally have an idea where i want to go but i give myself room to basically throw the plan away too i i i find that 
it's good to have a like an a basic idea where you want to go because you you never get truly lost. But at the same time, I mean, you write for the somewhat the joy, the discovery of, of doing the craft. Like there's there's a joy in it, and to you find that joy, you know, you don't have everything planned out. Also, sometimes your characters take over. Hey, Josh, you're going. This is what this is what's happening. It's like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, we're going here. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're going here. That, 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 that's how it works. It's like, sometimes you were, we're as much a conduit sometimes as we are the, the directors. And and I'm wise enough to go, you know, I'm, I, I might be on something. Then again, I might be on to something. I might as well figure out which is which first, right? And those surprises can be wonderful. And even if you go go off the beaten path a little bit, you can always go back to your plot and look at it and go, okay, what parts of this is usable here? What parts of this is necessary here? Or if you come up with something way better, you just keep going with it and you just say, screw it. Um, my very first book um, that I would say since my I relaunched my career is called The Watcher, which was I ended up being accidentally written and accidentally published. Um, so the accidental written part was I, I had decided my original plan was to do like these short little poems, it's like a poetry collection kind of get back because I did something like that a long time ago. And I came up with this idea and then I wrote this idea. So I wanted to write a longer poem. We'll stay a longer one. Not necessarily what ended up happening, but but longer one. So I wrote chapter one, which is called The Watcher, which is about a slave boy in the tower and, and, dra- and, and dragons were basically ruling this compound and everybody and he was job was to look out make sure the weather was okay his family and everybody else was working in the compound so and he was just that curiosity just ate at him what was out there and I really liked it it's like so I oh what happens next well he kills his dragon master okay I can't end it there I gotta know what happens next he spends his first night out in the woods alone. So some of my favorite writing I've ever done. That chapter is really, I'm really, really proud of that chapter. Then I wrote chapter four. Then I wrote chapter five. Then I wrote chapter six. And I said, to hell with my original plan. I'm just going with it. This is better. And it was better. And I um, wrote the story out. Had a friend of mine that I went to a comic shop and I saw her art and it's like okay that'd be kind of cool. Get some illustrations, kind of bounces out. Talked to her, she was really cool with it, and uh, Florence really over delivered. And um, what ended up happening then was I had this book and my plan was I'm going to go on Smashwords and publish it that way and kind of you know print copies for conventions. That was, that was all of my master plan. Someone wise it on Smashwords. It's an old friend of mine. I interviewed her a long, long time ago. She goes, this is really cool. What are you going to do with it? I, I just basically told you. And she's like, well, listen, I just made the old Ingram books. I, uh, I, I'm starting a publishing house. I want to publish it. And that's how you accidentally get published. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. One thing led to another, would led to another, and you just went with it, right? So the cool thing about life, and this is the honest cool thing about life, is um, do shit. Just do it. Just do it. And, you know, what ends up happening a lot of time, more often than not, is you know, the world, and you are surprised. 
Now, would I love more sales for Alice right now? Absolutely. I'd be lying to you if I said otherwise. But I'm also like, I'm just, I'm just going to trust the process. Just doing everything I've done has led somewhere. Why would that stop? That's awesome, man. I, 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 I really uh, wish you just tons of success. Um, I, I think the world needs to see where your imagination goes. I think this is um, why people should take your advice and just do. Because so many great ideas are stuck in people's head, in their heart. They live the experience that a world would, would learn and, and be inspired by that just, you know, just passes with them as in their, in their, in their silence. And I think everybody, um, that has that knack for creativity knows how hard it can be financial. Like you said, I need, I need some sales so I can even just like validate myself and keep doing this. Right. Or else I'm going to have to pick up more hours, which is going to cut into my writing time and crush my imagination. Um, so I think you you just left out so many many good nuggets for people to to, to pull on and, and stay on their journey. So I say it like this: the final result. I say it like this to people: it's not about the final result. And I know that's going to sound really lame hearing that. Here's the job. Here's your job as a person. Whatever you choose to do in life doesn't matter if it's creative or not. It is to minimize your 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 attempts to get in your own day, your own way to achieve the job you set out to do. It's better to go out and put yourself out there. Everything balls to the wall. Just say, you know what? Here I am. You minimize all the mistakes you make, all of them, right? Your mistakes. You minimize them as much as possible, and you just do the best you can with what you have. That's your job. The rest will take care of itself. It's that, and, and, and I know I make that sound really, really simple. It's simple. It's certainly not easy. You gotta be very honest with yourself. But if you can do that, you will inevitably succeed because you will do what a lot of people don't, which is you be honest with yourself looking in the mirror and not stopping. Just keep going. Um, how, how can people support? Tell me how people can support the podcast, um, so, the book, and what's coming next. So my podcast is available on practically every audio platform there is, which is so you just go and subscribe to the podcast, listen to a few episodes, tell your friends. That'd be great. Um, support my sponsors. You know, Go to uh, Mirror World, World Publishing is a sponsor this month. They have a code for their anthology far, far away. Type in the code Josh and you get 20% off. Go do that, you know, that'd be great. Um, go on Amazon, buy my books, leave some reviews, tell your friends. I mean, that's that's the real secret to this, just let people know it's out there. Uh, or, and finally, there's my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash justjoshingpodcast. You know, I nearly have 100 subscribers on, on, the, uh, on the channel, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but for Twitch, it is actually pretty good. Um... Just go on out, go on there, and uh, you know, watch some shows when they air live. My next show is on Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Come on out there, join me and Bobby Nash. We'll talk about the world. I don't know what I'm going to talk about with Bobby Nash just yet. We'll figure it out when we get on the show, I'm sure. But uh, 
as Roderick will tell you, like I just I just pretty much just go off the wall and just kind of just see where it goes. Oh, it's always fun. Um, Joshua Pantelaresco, thank you for coming by. Alice One, go check that out. Check out the podcast. Support this fantastic creator. Um, and we'll have you back. I'll be back on your show. We'll uh, uh, we we got we got to keep this going, man. This was fantastic. Thank you. No, my pleasure, man. See you guys next time.